This Tailgate Society podcast is brought to you by our good friends at Deadeye Premium Barbecue Products. Born in Iowa and made in the heartland, Deadeye is your go-to source for everything barbecue. Sauces, seasonings, you name it. They've made a science out of great grilling flavor. It's more than a sauce. Whether you're cooking sliders, dogs, steak, or chicken, Deadeye has the explosive flavor needed to make every dish delicious. Try a splash of their sweet and smoky original recipe or turn up the heat with their Magnum Edition barbecue sauce. Both flavors are available in seasonings as well as sauces. So pick your favorite and prepare your taste buds for an unforgettable eating experience. Deadeye Premium Barbecue products are available at Fairway, Hy-Vee, Amazon, or at DeadeyeBBQ.com. Hello and welcome to Culture Check Harry Potter, a Tailgate Society podcast. Please check thetailgatesociety.com and subscribe to Tailgate Society podcasts on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. I'm Arnold Woods and I'm joined by Emily Cornell. Emily, what's going on? Oh, you know, just continuing to enjoy all the Harry Potter. Um, how are you doing? I'm doing well. This is our first like face-to-face interaction here, so I'm very yes. excited for this for this episode. We meet at last, as they say. Yeah, <laughs> kind of weird because I mean, obviously, we've been talking for a long time, but it's good yeah. to see your face. Good to chat with you about this. You know, I this is one of my favorite parts of the week, so I'm very excited about this episode. Same, and it's it's so fun that like. I mean, it's been fun us to like talking about what we like about Harry Potter and like all these different things, but it's like fun to also um, hear what other people are excited about in Harry Potter. And it just proves that Harry Potter is such a community thing. It's almost like sports where like people are just like, oh, yes, I know about Harry Potter and like I can get into this. So um, really excited to get into this. It is. It is so much like sports and and that's a good segue into this topic uh, of this of this week's episode because we we kind of so so the point of this episode is we're doing a mailbag episode we put the word out on Twitter um, thank you to everyone who responded um, to the Tailgate Society Twitter account that asked if you had questions that you wanted Emily and myself to discuss regarding the Harry Potter universe the books the movies everything in between and we got a lot of responses we got a lot of feedback and a lot of the feedback it kind of like went into a direction it, uh, like kind of just turned into a conversation about people comparing Quidditch to like various sports. So that was really dope. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we have, uh, we have some questions that we're going to get into. Um, and then uh, we're actually, this is going to be a two part episode. So we'll say that right off the top. Um, we are going to have this week's mailbag and then next week's, cause we got such an overwhelming response. And as Emily pointed out to me the other day, um, it makes sense to do seven Harry Potter episodes of, of Culture Check. It just makes sense. It, it's just right. You know, seven is the most powerfully magical number. Yeah. So, yeah, this is going to be, of course, a spoiler-filled discussion. So if you're not into that sort of thing, if that's not your bag, if you haven't read the Harry Potter books or seen all the movies yet, this might be the time for you to, to make your leave. But we, we thank you for joining yeah. us on the journey this, this far. Um, but yeah, let's, let's get right into it. Do you want to do the first question? What's our first question? So the first question is, should Ron really have been in Gryffindor and should Neville? Um, so like, where, where do you sit with that question? This is a more popular question than I, than I, there's, we got a lot of Ron related questions. Ron kind of <laughs> took a beating in some of the questions. Yeah. He caught some strays, unfortunately. Um, so yeah, Andrew Down sent us this question. He asked, "What? Yeah, should Ron have really been in Gryffindor?" I, I think so. Yeah, hundred um, percent. 
you know, Ron and Neville both deserve to be in Gryffindor. They both showed like extreme bravery in different circumstances. Um, they both showed a lot of stubbornness in some circumstances with Ron. I think about his fights with Harry, um, especially in Goblet, right? Goblet, we discussed a few episodes ago, his, his frustrations with Harry kind of boil over. And I think that deep down, he knew that he was being um, unreasonable with his frustrations with Harry getting his name into the Goblet. But, you know, he's so stubborn. He's still, um, him and Harry still went at it about it. And, and then Neville as well, obviously. Neville, um, in the first book, he, you know, at the end of the book, he gets the points from Dumbledore for, for standing up to his friends. And then uh, that's, a, that's an instance of him being stubborn, not wanting um, the trio to sneak out at night out of the common room. And then there's the moment, we also discussed this in, in one of our previous episodes, but in uh, Order of the Phoenix, when it's, there's the mass breakout from Azkaban and then the strangers break out and Neville hears about it and the, the strangers obviously um, are the couple that tortured his parents into insanity. And so when he hears that they're out, like the book says that he starts training even harder, it kind of sharpens his focus. So things like that, I mean, you know, Neville, Neville and, and Ron in a lot of ways are kind of the underdogs, but I still, I feel like they both belong in Gryffindor. What are your thoughts on that? I agree. Um, mostly for Ron, I can't imagine him being in any other house. Um, like to me, I'm just like, oh yeah, like Ron kind of goes in Gryffindor because they're like headstrong people and like Ron is just, he's ready to go. And he's like super loyal even when he leaves Harry and Hermione in Deathly Hallows, like, he comes back to them. Like, Dumbledore knows that he's going to come back. Like, Ron gets frustrated, but, like, and he reacts to that frustration, but he does, like, come around. Like, anytime he does get mad at Harry, he eventually is like, okay, well, we're moving past it. Um, and so that's, to me, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense that he would be in Gryffindor um throughout the years like despite anything he like is always there for Harry and Hermione um and then Neville is just well he seems to just be lost a lot and like I could see him in like Hufflepuff but that also doesn't completely sit right for me like how we talked about Hermione maybe being able to be in like Ravenclaw or Gryffindor um Neville like I'm like oh yeah he could be Hufflepuff but like really he could be Gryffindor because when it when it's time to be like the most loyal and like okay we need to do this um and step up I guess like he's ready to do that um like like he does in Order of the Phoenix and kind of beyond that um he just it's just a regular awkward teenager though. <laughs> so it's like, right. uh, I can see how he might not, but um, I think there's an argument to be made for both Ron and Neville to be in Gryffindor and not really any other house. Yeah. You make such a, a, a good point about Neville's ability to step up. And I think about how at the end of Deathly Hallows, sort of his arc and Ron's, kind of come to a culmination Ron in the sense of obviously he's with the trio going for the, the search for the Horcruxes and he, you know, he leaves at a certain point, but he comes back and it's, it's kind of a culmination of, of everything in terms of solidifying his relationship with Harry and Hermione and, you know, just 
the three of them being bonded together in a way that's unique to the entire series. And then with Neville, right, when they get back to Hogwarts, when they're looking for the diadem, realizing that Voldemort has a Horcrux inside of Hogwarts, Neville has kind of become the, the student leader of the resistance there because the Death Eaters have kind of taken control of Hogwarts. And so, um, you know, they, they meet Neville um, in a moment that we'll discuss um, a little bit later, but um, I, think we're, I think we're getting that question on this episode. But there's, there's a moment where um, the trio is, it meets with Aberforth, or Aberforth, however you pronounce it, and you know Neville comes through the portal through the you know through the secret passageway and they see him and he's like been beat up and bloodied and stuff and he explains to him how how he's been resisting the the regime at Hogwarts and so you know that's another example of how his art comes to a culmination of him being like one of the bravest students so definitely shout out to both of them oh yeah yeah fully agree with that so are we going to go to the next question? Yeah. So our next question, also from Andrew Downs, it's which death is the saddest? Um, I, I kind of have a two-part answer to this, so I'll, I'll answer it the, the first half. My, the saddest deaths to me combined are Lupin and Tonks, and that's me speaking from a personal perspective. Okay. Um, be- becoming a father, um, being married, being a husband, uh, you know, they a big plot point of Deathly Hallows. They, they die in the, uh, in the, in the battle of Hogwarts um, in, at the end of Deathly Hallows. And a major plot point of that book is the two of them having a baby and Lupin kind of coming to grips with that. And at first he is not thrilled about it because he feels like he's, con- he's condemned his child to his condition of being a werewolf and, we know how difficult that is for someone in that society, in the magical society, to be a werewolf. So he's not thrilled about that, but then he um, he gets over that, and he so he meets up with the trio and um, Bill and Fleur and Dean and Luna at Shell Cottage, and he's so like uh, uh, Lupin meets up with all of them, and he's so excited, and he asks Harry to be the godfather after the baby's born. So. You know, having a child who is going to grow up without their parents, to me, um, kind of completing the circle w- with Harry in the beginning of, yeah. of the saga, um, knowing that that child is going to grow up uh, in a loving environment, but, you know, he won't have his parents. And so that that makes it really sad for me. What about you? Um, so I think that Fred's death was like the saddest when I read the books. Uh, I think that Lupin and Tonks, th- those were really sad deaths to me, but... Um, I just remember when I like read Deathly Hallows for the first time and Fred died, I was like, what? Fred? Why would you kill Fred Weasley? (laughs) Um, And obviously lots of people die in these books. Um, J.K. Rowling loves to just kill off characters like Sirius Black when it's like, it's in a moment where Harry's like, oh great. Like I finally have this adult figure in my life who like I love and they love me and like, we can have this relationship. And then he dies. Um, Fred is obviously not, his relationship with Harry is not like that. Like Fred and Harry are friends. Um, Harry gives Fred and George like the money to start up their, their joke shop. So like they're buds, but it just, as the reader 
who has like been with all of these characters for all these books. And you're like, oh yeah, like Fred and George are like the comedic relief throughout all of these books. Like you like them, they're very enjoyable. Um, there aren't moments where you're like, wow, I'm really like off put by their behavior because you don't get like enough deep development of them like that. Like there are times where you're like, oh, Harry needs to get over this or Ron needs to be better, or whatever. But Fred and George, great characters, <laughs> love them. And so when Fred died, I was like, oh no, I don't like this. This must be like a joke or, I mean, obviously not, but. Yeah, I think Fred's death is probably the most shocking for me. Um, kind of just agreeing with everything you just said, like reading that for the first time. Um, as, as, as you know, and if you've been listening to this podcast, I was introduced to the series, um, to the book series already, like knowing a lot of the major plot points and things like that. But then there's still, you know, there's only so much that you can be told, right? Like there's something yeah. that you have to discover for yourself. And so, yeah, that was, that was definitely a shock for me, um, reading that it, it happens at like at the very end of one of the chapters, like there's an explosion and then, you know, you learn that, that Fred has died. And so that's, it was really a shock. I was not, not picturing that. And then you think about, I think it's an order of the Phoenix where Molly sees the boggart and it's her children dying and it's her, and Harry dying. And, you know, um, again, as a parent, you know, seeing your child die or your child dying in general, like that's something that you, I can't really put into words how much you don't want that to happen. And so, uh, yeah, that's Fred's death was definitely devastating. I think that's a popular one. This, that's a, this is a question that I see a lot and, you know, JK Rowling, um, answers some questions from people a lot on her Twitter feed about this, the series and then, this is one of those, it's like, why did you have to kill Fred type things? Like I've seen that a, a few times. So yeah, it's, I agree so much with what you just said. It's, I mean, I, again, there's so many deaths that she has that are like very impactful, especially for Harry. I think just because it, it catches you off guard with Fred, it's like, Oh, um, but it's, it, it's right there with like Tonks and Lupin dying serious. Um, and another character that everyone loves Dobby. Yeah, so this is kind of like setting up to the second part of this question. We, uh, I kind of wanted to segue this into a second question that we had. Dobby's death, I think, is another one that people would say is is pretty devastating. Yeah, uh, another popular answer in terms of which one is is the saddest. And um, so we had a question, another question that we had from the mailbag is from Ursula Brandt, a friend of the podcast, friend of mine that I've known since uh, middle school. So she asked. Um, you didn't discuss Dobby on your side characters podcast. What are your thoughts on him? So for me, kind of tying back to this last question, I feel like the, the movies try to shoehorn his death into being like really sad, but it didn't really work because he's not a prominent, he's not as prominent a figure in the movies as he is the books. So in the books, you, we meet him in the second book and um, he's sprinkled throughout the rest of the series. And in the movies, it's, it's basically, I think it's just the second, the second movie. And then the s- seventh movie. Yeah. Deathly Hallows part one. I think those are the only two movies that, he, that he's in. Yeah. So in terms of his death, I think it, it, it really is devastating. And it's, to me, it's 
uh, it shows the power of the writing because when the character's introduced, I really didn't care for him that much. He's introduced as trying to keep Harry from going to Hogwarts and, and Chamber of Secrets, and he's making his life hell, basically, yeah. Um, yeah, in order to do it. So um, he's a character that when he's introduced, I, I wasn't a big fan of his, but as the series progresses and you you kind of see he's our lens into the house elf world, which is really interesting because he's so unlike all the other house elves. Yeah. But um, he's a character that's who, who turns out to be pretty rich in my opinion. So what are your thoughts on, on Dobby? Um, I agree with you that like at the beginning, he's not super likable. You think that he just is like, he doesn't have malice towards Harry. He just is like super irritating. It's just like, you could have planned this so much better you could have stopped Harry in so many other ways that were like smarter um, or tried to, he could have tried. And I think that while he is like super irritating to Harry and like everyone, his motives are pretty clear. He just wants to protect Harry. And like, it's very, and like throughout the series, you then see that where he like, he's looking out for the interest of Harry and after Harry frees him, he's just like, he loves Harry and is like super loyal to him and like a good friend. So um, by the end of the series, like, yeah, you do, you feel like, oh man, Dobby died. And to your point of like, you're only introduced to him in the movies in movie two, and then you don't see him again until like the end of the seventh movie. It's like, oh, I, I think that, if I was not a reader, like if I only watched the movies, I would not care that Dobby died. I'd be like, okay, so here's this house elf who like ruined everything in the second movie and like became free. Like you don't see in the movies how he does end up working at Hogwarts and he like takes care of Winky, who is the Crouch's house elf who gets fired and is like beside herself and always drunk because she's so sad that she got fired. Um, you don't see him become that, that character in the movies. So um, Dobby is a very enjoyable character after like starting towards the end of book two on, but like in the beginning, you're just like so stressed with him because he's ruining everything. He's so like desperate for, um companionship with yes. Harry and his friends and he you know he he admires them so much um we are our next question is about house elves so I, I'm not going to step on that too much but I will say that um house elves just really aren't in the movies like at all in general compared yeah. to compared to the books and I remember reading something with JK Rowling where she was talking about how um, they weren't going to put Creature in the fifth movie. And she had to like tell the producers, like, you know, Creature's going to come up really big in the last book, so you need to make sure that he's in the movie. Yeah. And so, yeah, the movie kind of just skips over House Elves in general. And yes. the book series has such a... It's the, the race of House Elves are so um, much more prominent and much yeah. more a commentary as a part of the wizarding community as, as other things are as well, but... Um, so yeah, it's, that's a tough, um, change from the, from the books in terms of the movies, but 
Yeah, Dobby, I, I just I agree with what you said. Like he's um his his story arc is um his story arc is one of someone who I I see as I've I've mentioned this before, but like characters with like quirks. He to me, he's like one of the characters with, with that are like quirky. And sometimes yeah. that's meant to in, endear you to them. Um to me, I can kind of less is more in terms of like quirks. Um, but yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, he's, he's an indispensable character and, and he's someone who is, um, not only very important, he's also someone that you care a lot about, or I cared a lot about at, by the, by the end of his arc. So, yeah. So it was hard not putting him like lump, like including him with like all the other side characters, but I don't know there's so many good side characters and Dobby is definitely like a significant one. Yeah. I mean, he's, we, we talked about last episode, like the different tiers. Yeah. Um, he's, uh, you know, I, he's like, he's, it's, it's, it's tough cause he's important to the story, but I would put him as like a tier three character. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's some, some of the characters are going to get the short end of the stick. Um, Dobby's one of them. Yeah, so <laughs> it just you know Dobby and all the house elves, which like is. is unfortunate, but the stories of the house elves are like such a like it's happening, and it's like a fun little like side story going on within the bigger story. But it's still like uh, if if you don't have all of the stories about the house elves, obviously with the movies, like you still get the story like you get the gist of the story of harry potter that it's like yeah you kind of have to put the house elves on the tier three of side characters because the story does progress without them do you want to just get into the next question yeah i mean we're already yeah we're already already talking about them and um so andrew downs also asked are house elves slaves and like a very simple answer to that question is yes Y-E-S. Yeah. <laughs> like. Very simple, very direct. Um, yeah, I mean, would you like see the more that the house elves have a role in the books, not in the movies, like it's definitely slave labor and they live it like they live in different houses. They are, they're like attached to the house of that family. Like they are, they cannot leave that family. They have to do whatever they are told. So like. Anytime, so like an example, in Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, whenever Dobby tries to help Harry, because he belongs to the Malfoys who hate Harry, he has to punish himself. So he'll like burn his fingers or like when he's sitting in Harry's room, he like bangs his head in the closet door. Like house elves are like somewhat I, I don't know because i wouldn't say it's like brainwashed like he knows that he doesn't want to be like hit but he knows he has to punish himself for going against his like master you know it's um it's so crazy because like it's it's obvious that they're slaves right like yes. they don't have any they don't have any agency yes. um i think about the house elves who work at hogwarts and how when that comes out like that's a big plot point of the fourth book yeah Hermione creating spew and when she finds out that you know it's it's one of those things so I'm gonna take it to this level because I mean this is this is who I am 
and I analyze things, but like, it makes me think of, um, so I work in higher ed. I work at a, I work at Iowa state. Um, and, um, I'm, you know, when you do the type of work that I do, you're very aware of, I work with like marginalized students, marginalized communities, um, uh, you know, race and ethnicity and higher ed and how those two things interact with each other is like, that's, that's what my job is. And so you look at the history and the legacy of slavery at different institutions, particularly like on the East coast of America, um, you know, slaves are building schools like Princeton, like Harvard, like university of Virginia, like the, it's slavery is very entrenched there and it's built on slave labor. And so it's the same with Hogwarts, right? Like the house elves are, you know, um, they're cooking the food They're They're, you know, it's Hogwarts is built on the labor of these house elves who are slaves. And I'm not sure how deep JK Rowling thought into this because obviously she's a British writer and I'm not sure how much she knows. I mean, I'm sure she knows about American slavery, obviously, but, um, it's the parallels are there. And the biggest one that really, every time I read the series, it really like it, 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 it triggers that thing in me um, where people who are like, but they like it, right? Like Ron a lot, like the, you know, yeah. the, the, the elves, you know, they like it. They want to be like that. And it's just like, that's the same shit that they said during American slavery, yeah. right? Where it's like, <laughs> well, they're slaves. Like they, the slaves want to be there, right? If you, if you freed them, where would they go? Where, how would they take care of themselves? You know, like that's such a, thing that was so entrenched in American society. Um, and, you know, there's that, you know, apocryphal quote from Harriet Tubman where she's like, I would have freed, you know, 20,000 more slaves if I could have convinced them that they were slaves. Um, but like, yeah, that's such a, that's every time I read that, I'm like, God damn, like that's, that's, that's so triggering for me. Cause it's just like, they, you know, they, they like it. They want to be, they want to be slaves. That's what they're saying. Like they want to be, they want to be enslaved. And that's so like, um, fucked up and so like um yeah like i just i'm i i wonder how if she if she understood the parallels that she was writing when she when she wrote that i'm sure she had some idea of it um especially when she like really leaned into that plot of like the the house elves like freeing them from being slaves and like Hermione being like, listen, this is terrible. Um, I I would like to guess that she like JK Rowling knew what she was doing just because she is thoughtful in other areas of this story. Um, but it definitely, and I, and maybe because she took it to that like very extreme of like, well, maybe they like it um, just to like fully highlight it. Cause if she's like, having all these like great nuggets of, you know, be a good person. Um, so that like the reader who the audience that I'm sure she was thinking she was writing for is like kids, they would understand like, don't, don't fall for this lie of like, Oh yeah. Like someone's oppressed because they want to be oppressed. They like it. Like, no, literally no. Uh This is a, I mean, this, I can go on this subject for a long time. This is a, this is a different podcast because we want to talk about like slavery and the vestiges of slavery in America and then how Britain played into that and all those things. Like we, I'm already about to go off on a tangent. <laughs> so we got, we're going to cut this question short before okay. this turns into uh, PBS with Arnold and Emily. Oh. Um, 
Uh, you want to do the next question? <laughs> sure. I'm already listen. You're all right. You're you're I'm ready. I'm already about to. Yeah, I'm already. <laughs> if we want, to, we can discuss this more too. Get at us. We'll we'll. I don't know. We'll do a separate pod or something. Yeah, we we can definitely talk about all of that. But back to Harry Potter. Exactly. Would you have the, and thank you, Andrew Downs, for like all of the questions. You got a lot. Yeah, um, you got a lot in. He so. Another question. Would you have kept the Elder Wand? If so, what would you have done with it? This is one I go back and forth on a lot. Okay. Um, I, but why? I have, I have arguments for keeping it, and I have arguments for not keeping it. Okay. I go back and forth on it because it's it's ultimately... Um, the question is, how much do I trust myself? Okay. And sometimes there's there's a part of me that trusts myself with that type of power or weapon or whatever whatever it is. And there, there are times, there are parts of me that I don't trust it, trust myself to keep it and make good decisions with it. So what are your, what are your thoughts on it before we get into mine, I guess? Um, so when I read this question, I was like, I don't know, like get snacks. Um, I'm a very short-sighted person. I'm like, oh yeah, I guess I would like make things a little bit easier for myself. But like anything that is like a grand plan I, I'd have to like destroy it because I would lose it and someone else would end up doing that. Like, it just is like the nature of who I am. I'm just like, yeah, sure. Like just do this. That I would, someone would steal it or I would like give it to someone thinking like, oh yeah, like they're well-meaning. Like it wouldn't be good. So I probably should destroy it. But the first thing I would have done if I had gotten it was like summon something cool. So that's a difference between another difference between the books and the movies because in the books he destroys the wand, or in the movies in the movie he destroys the wand yeah. like he breaks it in half. In the yeah. books he just like leaves it out there, I think. Or no, no, he uses the wand to repair his old wand. Yeah, but he doesn't destroy it. I don't think. I don't. I thought he put it with Dumbledore. Yeah, I think that's what it is. It's the it's the stone. The stone he leaves in the forest. Yeah. in the book but yeah he uses the elder wand to repair his old wand and then yeah he keeps the like the elder wand like stays at hogwarts or whatever yeah. or goes yeah so yeah i um i wouldn't use it i'm not like i'm not a, a violent person or uh, by any means so i wouldn't i know i wouldn't use it to like duel people or whatever and um the fairy tale version of the story is the guy you know, he gets it and he brags about it and then he, you know, gets killed in the sleep or whatever. Like I couldn't, I would not, I keep a lot of shit to myself anyways. So I know that I wouldn't go out and tell people that I, you know, have the, the, the strongest, most powerful wand or whatever. I just, I'm afraid that if I start doing stuff too much, if I'm, if I start making the magic look too easy, then people will start to get suspicious maybe. Yeah. They'll be like, damn, you're not really that good. So how are you doing this? Well, it's the wand, brother. Um, so yeah, I, I it's that aspect of it makes me want to give it to someone else. But then it's like, well, who would I give it to? Like the person that I give it to, I would have to trust like completely and full. Like basically, I would have to trust them with my life, right? In order to to give it to them. So, um, and I know that there. There are people that I know who are really trustworthy, I know. But then it's also just like, do I want to place that burden on them at the same time? Like, should it, would it be better for me to just keep it myself? So the, my answer to this question is honestly, like, I don't know. I sincerely don't know what I would do. Um, if I had to guess, I would, I would guess I would probably keep it 
Um, I would probably pull a Harry and like maybe if my regular wand was broken, I would use it to repair that one and just like, you know, keep it in my glove box or something. I don't know. But I would no, I would keep it someplace safe and um so I wouldn't be tempted to use it. But honestly, like I really don't know what I would do. I might give it back to Ollivander. Okay. That that would be like if I had to give it to someone, like if I couldn't destroy it, because it would be like not great to destroy like this really powerful magical object. That doesn't seem right. Um, the Indiana Jones of like it belongs in a museum in me is like, oh yeah, probably give it to someone responsible. And Ollivander like proved that he's not really seeking anything other than to make these wands and know the wand lore. And so he would have like one an appreciation for it. He would two probably know how to like keep it safe and like make it so like no one could do anything with it. Like not him when he's tempted, not anyone if they like came and like attacked him again. I think that um it's a good choice to give it to him because like you said, like you know he's not gonna want to use it. Yeah. You know, he's he's gonna keep it purely for like academic purposes, purely for historical and safety purposes. Uh, it makes me think, though, like you said, like he's going to have to put a whole bunch of like protective enchantment, enchantments around it and, you know, all this type of stuff. Because, you know, he got kidnapped by Voldemort for information on the wand. So if there's an evil wizard out there and they know he has it. So I guess the first thing for him to do would be to make sure that no one knows that he has it. And then if by some miracle someone finds out, like put precautions on top of precautions to make sure that no one gets it so but i i like that idea give it to olivander he's a trustworthy guy so basically neither of us would keep it and uh <laughs> yeah, yeah i just don't want them problems in my life man like that's the last line of this of the books right where he's just like it's more trouble than it's worth and i've had enough trouble to last a lifetime like i it's yeah you'll need all that i want them problems that's um that's very good awareness from harry who like all these things happen in Deathly Hallows and he's still like, no, I'm out. Like he's 17 years old and he could be like, oh yeah, like I could fix. No, he's like, no, I, I don't want any more of this nonsense. It's kind of like the grizzled veteran in him. And yeah. it also shows that he's not like, there's, there's times in the series where it's hinted at he has like this hero complex or the savior complex, yeah. which is, it's valid. But at the end of the day, it's not like he, he had the opportunity to like step away from everything and he took it. Like he's not addicted to like thrills or being in danger yeah. or, you know, being important or people thinking that he's important or things like that. Like he's just, he did what he did to protect people, to protect the people that he loved, um, to make his community safe or whatever, uh, whatever you yeah. want to say. Like he wasn't doing it for adrenaline rush or, um, to be famous or whatever. Like he had the opportunity at the end of the day to be like, I'm done. Like, I'm good. Like I can, I can retire now. Like Thanos, like <laughs> it's a wrap for me. So. <laughs> oh, <laughs> do you want to go to the next question? Yes. Uh, number five, uh, question. I guess this is technically six since we kind of lumped them together. The other oh, two, yeah, the Dobby questions, but true. you know, whatever we'll say it's five. Um, this one is from the OG, Addie Olson, who did the very first Potter Talk podcast with me years ago. Um, Addie, the OG Harry Potter fan. Addie asks, are Dementors and their inability to see, feel, or hear while carrying out death sentences uh, left and right a reflection of the broken U.S. justice system? Addie, thank you for this question. Again, we're going to keep it short because I could go on and on about this. 
Um, what are your what listen, What are your thoughts about dementors in general? I guess what do you what comes to mind for you when when, when you think of dementors? Um, I think that I because I have like read where J.K. Rowling's like, oh, they're like the depression that I had, and I'm like, yes, I get that. Um, how it's just like they're like being around them. It's just like hopelessness and like, um, so that's, that's definitely where I go immediately when I'm like, Oh yeah, she wrote about this monster that like, doesn't really have a face. It can't really be like, you, you feel a certain way before you even see it. Like, um, but then like, I saw this question, I'm like, Oh my goodness, the Dementors might be more than what I think because yeah, to me, they just like, they represent, especially early on in the series. So when they first appear in Prisoner of Azkaban, where like they're on the train and you just know that they're after Sirius Black, they're just like the guards of Azkaban. But like the fear that like Fudge has, like as the books progress where he's like, uh, Voldemort can like get them to be on his side. It's like, oh, like they aren't just these like creature, like a jellyfish. Like I was like, Oh, they're basically like jellyfish who they sense that things are here, but they don't have like, they're not thinking. And then like, Oh, the fact that they can choose sides because they know that they want to suck the happiness out of everything. And they can be reasoned with like, I, I can see how it might go just from, Oh, they represent like no good thing ever again in life to like, okay, what's causing this no good thing to ever happen again. And like with, if there's no control behind it, like this type of like evil um, can just like be all consuming. I don't know. It's so interesting because like our perspectives are like, I, we, I agree with everything you said. And I'll give my explanation and I think that you'll see where I'm coming from, but like we're on the different sides of the same coin because I'm I'm listening to your explanation about how they represent like depression and these, you know, these anxieties that you, um, that creep up on you when you don't expect them and you can't even see them at first, you don't recognize what it is. And then all of a sudden you're just like depressed and you have this overwhelming um, sense of fear or hurt or, you know, this trauma that you're experiencing. Um, I, I get that just from hearing you, like reading it, I read it the other way. Like to me, when I think of Dementors, I think of like over-policing. Like I think of, um, the government using unnecessarily extreme force to help, uh, to help like a, a problem that doesn't require that force. So like the, the Dementors originally come for Sirius Black in Sirius Black is like presented as this like dangerous um he's presented as this like dangerous person um mass murderer or whatever okay he's dangerous you know send a bunch of oars there send have a bunch of oars standing guard against Hogwarts don't send like hundreds of dementors right like it's over policing like it's 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 one guy and you're sending like this army of um you know hooded magical creatures who can suck people's souls out like it's over policing like that's the way that i read it and Um, he already made it by them once so like why why would you have them again protecting the school if he can already make it by them exactly so it's like it's kind of like just the other side of your coin where you talked about like the personable what what dementors represent to to the individual where it's just this like they represent anxiety like overwhelming crippling I'm unable to function level anxiety 
And I just never, I don't think I really put that together until you said that just now. So that was, that was um, such a dope insight from you. But I like, I appreciate what you said about how it is like the over-policing. And I think when I, because I think about the books as I did when I read them originally. So I wasn't trying to like, I guess I didn't think about anything too deeply, which is like on brand. Um, (laughs) But like, I think now, especially the current climate um, of things, like that's very easy to see. Like, I think if I read... Prisoner of Azkaban without like because you read a book once you already know like kind of what's happening it's like oh yes the Dementors are these guards and they do this and it's just like you don't think more about it or I don't like I'm sure plenty of people do but I'm just like oh yes this is the purpose they serve this story and more like reading it to follow what's happening with Harry and like whatever but yeah I think you're you make a really good point that they like are like over policing because it it's excessive and like and when um, in the Goblet of Fire, when they take a Dementor to Barty Crouch Jr., like 100%, like you didn't need to do that. And when I had like reread that, I was like, yeah, that does seem a bit like, why did they have a Dementor just like ready to go and kill this dude when they could have like talked to him and like gotten information and then they jump from, okay, well, we kind of like ruined our source. Let's use Harry as a scapegoat. Like, there are a lot of issues. Like, the Ministry of Magic pretty much always represents a mess. But For sure. <laughs> For sure. Like, yeah, it's you're 100% on point. And it's just like, it's a blunt force instrument where one doesn't need to be used. It's, you know, protesters in Ferguson peacefully protesting. And then you send in, like, SWAT teams with, you know, yeah. SWAT gear on an AK-47s. Like, that's yes. what a Dementor is. It's a... It's a yes. Um an overwhelmingly it's an unnecessarily powerful government response to a problem that doesn't require that level of force it's excessive force like that's what i see it as and so like in the context of this question um yeah i mean we we it's we see communities that are over policed we see black and brown communities we see poor communities that are um, more likely to be arrested more likely to be jailed for similar offenses to white people like it's we see how the justice system over polices and uses force where it's unnecessary and i definitely i can see the parallel between between the mentors because that's how i again reading it as for the first time as a 22 year old and then rereading it like the series as an adult like that's that's the the lane that i saw it in originally yeah so um that's what's fresh in my mind. But again, like what you said, like I can also see it like as how it affects the individual as well. So it's, it's layered. It's a layered series. It is. It really, it truly is. And I think, um, again, I will say this to everyone because people are like, Harry Potter, isn't that a children's series? And I'm like, Oh my God, it's for everyone. Um, it is it like for a kid, for the youths, like the Dementors, they might, because, kids might not necessarily see all of those injustices or may be able to see like those parallels, but they can understand like being sad or lonely. Like those are things that everyone experiences. So um, they're the layers to the Dementor. And as, as the books go on, you do see how they for sure being used in a way that's inappropriate um, that like, again, parallels the U S justice system. <laughs> oh, the layers are there. 
They're they are definitely there. Let's get to the uh, next question. Um, our next question is also from Andrew, and it, his question is: It's a pretty broad question. It's are the three Malfoys, yeah. uh, Narcissa and Lucius, and then and Draco, are the three Malfoys more good or bad? Do you want to answer this first, or do you want me to? Um, I want to hear what you have to think about the three Malfoys. So yeah, we kind of we talked about this a little bit on our last episode, but to me, um, it's I don't know. I I don't want to say that it's they're they're pretty plainly bad in a lot of ways. Um, they're you know arrogant and they are you know uh, the wizarding equivalent of racists, right? With the um, with their emphasis on like blood status and like if you're not pure blood then you're shit and all this other stuff and they you know use the the slur the mud blood slur and things like that so they're not like they're they're not a good family um by any means but to me it's what they really represent um is what happens when a when a family in 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 the context of the mouth voice it's a family but it can be like a group of people it's a, a group of people with a shared belief system or whatever like to me it's they're representative of of what happens when a group of people who have a shared belief system um have that belief system turned on them and um the impact that that has on them and and how they have to come to grips with that because their belief system is pure blood above all else and, you know, go Voldemort, yay him and yay Death Eaters and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, that gets turned on them. They become prisoners on their own home and they become victims of Voldemort's wrath. And so to me, it's their, they represent what happens when you, um, you know, when you get in with the crowd or you, you believe a certain thing and then, um, yeah, it, it, it backfires on you and you have to, you become the victim of what you were victimizing. That's what they kind of represent to me. What about you? Um, I think that they are not great people. I think Lucius Malfoy is like actually a bad person. Um, Draco is a child for pretty much the whole series. And even by the end, he tried, like he has an understanding, like he can be saved. He can be like, rehabilitated to be like a marginally okay human like he won't be the best but like he won't be the worst like he might not abuse house elves but he might still also be like ah they they like being slaves but he doesn't feel like he has to keep them as slaves like that kind of like okay, well, like, you're halfway there. We can get you all the way there, maybe. And We then, said this last week, right? Like, he, he went to a seminar on, you know, on microaggressions, and then he was like, damn, I think this is me. Yes, yes. That's, that's yeah, that's Draco. That's him. So, like, he can he can get there. Um, Just, he needs to surround himself by better people, with better people. Like, Crab and Goyle are, like, idiots. Um, There are, like, other people in Slytherin that are, like, still like a little shady but not as bad so he could like hang out with them if he has to hang out with people from Slytherin and become better um and I think Narcissa is like surrounded by bad and so she has to do the bad things because she's but like ultimately she just cares about Draco like her Maybe she's just, like, very unhappy with the way her life turned out because her sister is, like, wild and, like, killing people. Like, obviously, they like each other. It's not that she, like, 
has any like ill feelings towards her sister but like I think Narcissa like she's one of those people who just like ends up in like a bad situation because she was like well I'm just here uh she's the bystander who could have said something but she didn't and by the time she was like oh crap like the thing I love might actually be impacted by this bad behavior she can't like say oh like Bellatrix what are you doing Lucius what like you she can't she's stuck um so in like the power ranking of the Malfoys of their badness I mean Lucius is like the worst and then Narcissa because she is a bystander and then Draco because like he can't be rehabilitated (laughs) right yeah I agree with you I agree with those rankings for sure uh Narcissa is a complicated character in the sense of like you know, she made choices, right? She chose to marry Lucius. She chose yes. to, you know, employ a house elf. She, you know, she made choices um, that led to where she ends up, which is, again, prisoner in her own home and, you know, fearing for her life and, you know, praying that this person that she saw as their leader or whatever doesn't immediately turn on them. But at the same time, it's like, I don't know if she ever really, I, she doesn't strike me as someone who, like, she she strikes me as someone who definitely like believed in like pure blood dominance yes. or whatever, but I don't know if she particularly cared about like Voldemort's level. Like I don't think she didn't she sign up for this. Yeah, she, she was just like, "Oh, we're doing this." Like I just wanted the money, but like yeah. I guess we're also doing this. Yeah, but it's tough because like to me again, it's a choice because like you you know you can yeah. you can you can go to a clan meeting. And then be like, whoa, I don't know about this, but you made the choice to go, right? And then now all of a sudden, like, they're going down the street and they're, you know, they want to put a cross in front of your, you know, your black third grade teacher's front lawn. So, you know, but you, you know, you might not be down for that. You might not agree with it, but you, on some level, you understand what your, yes, what the group of people's belief system is. So it's, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, she shows her true colors at the end, right? She helps Harry get back to Hogwarts. Like she's, yeah. all she cares about is, is her family. And as a parent, you know, I understand that. But like, again, like you, you make your choices and, you know, she, she got off relatively cleanly. The family got off relatively. Yeah. Cause it could have been, could have been a lot worse. Um, in the sixth book, you know, Draco was sent on that mission from Voldemort with the intent to die like Voldemort is sending him to die to kill a a wizard like Dumbledore like he's he's sending him on a suicide mission and through the different you know inner workings by Dumbledore and then by Narcissa like Narcissa has Snape do the unbreakable vow to like help Draco to like ensure that he doesn't get killed so you know it's it could have been a lot worse like Draco could have died in the sixth book if Voldemort had his way so you know yeah. At the end of the day, it worked out relatively well for them. I think if Draco had died, though, she would have, like, further become just, like, a passive bystander. Like, she would have been like, I have, like, no reason to do anything. I agree 100%. So, 100%. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Next question. If Muggle, and this is from Andrew Downs, um, if Muggles give birth to magics, so the wizards, the... um. Yeah. And the wizards marry muggles. How are the two worlds so separate? And the um like the follow-up question involves like Vernon Dursley and like how is no one essentially how has no one been like there's magic in the world? Um 
especially when you have muggles like Vernon Dursley who want nothing to do with it. Um, he's aware of it. And like, there are other people like him who are aware of it, who are not as hateful of it. So like, why have they not leaked it? Yeah, this one to me is like kind of a combination of, you know, suspending your belief a little bit because it's a story, you know what I mean? Like, you know, for the convenience of the story, 99, 98% of the non-magical world isn't aware of the magical world's existence, which is interesting to think about. That's one of the things that I thought was so interesting about the Fantastic Beasts movie series, because mm-hmm. right off the bat, you have the the Joseph Kowalski character who is this non-magical person who is just like introduced to this world where you, you've yeah. had seven books that are based on um, muggles not knowing that magical worlds exist. Yeah. And then like, right, like the main character in this series is like a muggle. So I don't know, or nomads, as they say in, in America. Um, but, to be fair, Newt also is like not like any other characters in the Harry Potter world, like Harry Potter's time. Like, he's doing whatever he wants. He does not care. (laughs) That's very true. Like, he's just out there living. Like, hey, here's a a giant fire beast running through the streets of Paris or whatever. Like, yeah, he's... he's No laws. He does not... He he could be from Texas. He does not care about the law. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, no, I have these creatures. And he's like, I'm going to tell this muggle... Who, like, not supposed to, like, even in those movies, he's not supposed to say anything to them. But that doesn't stop him because he's like, no, like, here, look at this. Newt is not wearing a mask. He is not social distancing. No. Newt was in, he was inside Chili's the first day it opened back up <laughs> yesterday. Like, Newt does not care. He's um, such a likable character, except yeah, I love for Newt. that. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And I love Newt, but yeah, he's kind of just out there doing his own thing without regards for the statute of secrecy. So I think I think about that, and then I also think about like the amount of um, memory charms that wizards place on muggles. Yeah, and so we've talked a lot about Goblet of Fire this episode. I didn't like anticipate us leaning so heavily into that book, but like that's what I think of in the beginning mm-hmm. um, when they're on their way to the to the World Cup, and you know the Weasleys and. Um, Arthur Weasley and then um, Amos Diggory, I think, kind of talking about the procedures for um, forming memory charms on the the campground workers and stuff like that. So I just I imagine that that happens a lot in the wizarding community that, you know, we don't really just see in the books. But I imagine like. At large, there's a lot of wizards out there slipping up and performing magic and then having to like perform memory charms on people. It's kind of like Men in Black where they just like keep. But frying their brains, like, that is not, not safe. Um, but I think that also, like, once we're in the time of Harry Potter, like, they're trying very hard. Like, the, the wizards are trying to hide magic from muggles. They have a lot of, like, rules in place. Not to say there isn't rules when it's Newt's time. It's just that Newt doesn't care. <laughs> Like, ultimately, it comes down to Newt not really caring if anyone knows, because he's like, no, we need to protect these animals. Yeah. Um, his motives are, like, completely different. Um, but, like, even in the beginning of Sorcerer's Stone, where McGonagall's talking to Dumbledore, and she's like, they're all, like, celebrating, and they're not even trying to hide themselves from the muggles, and we have to go and send people to, like, make the muggles think it was something else. 
Um, so that is probably a big thing of where if it's not just like one of the small, like, oh, we have to trick these like three muggles into thinking they didn't see something, but it's like a large group of them. They're probably the charm they use is like, oh, like you saw a tornado, which is not going to happen in Britain. Um, but like something bigger, that's what I'm envisioning happening. And then the ones that like have to know about the wizarding world. So like Vernon Dursley or the prime minister who like you hear about and it's the other minister in Deathly or not Deathly Hallows, Half-Blood Prince, where he's like kind of wigging out, but then he's like, well, like no one's going to believe me if I say this. They'll think I've lost my mind if I'm like, oh, this man showed up and my pictures are moved. Like, no, they're going to think he is on drugs. So that is probably like why muggles in this world don't say anything if they do know about it and have not had their memories erased. I think about too, um, maybe I'm reading too much into this, which again, on brand for me, um, I think about how maybe with the advancement of technology, people are more likely to believe that, well, it was just like some kind of trick, right? Some kind of like, maybe if they see magic being performed, they think like it's some kind of like special effect or some kind of, you know, CGI thing or whatever. Did you see um, Spider-Man Far From Home that came out last year? No, but it's okay if you ruin it. We've already said this is a spoilers show. It right. can be spoilers for MCU. It's okay. Well, well, it's like one of the main plot points of that is, I guess this is a spoiler, but like if you're familiar with, for those of you who are familiar with Spider-Man, are you familiar? I don't know if you're familiar with the yeah, Spider-Man yeah. comics at all. So you know Mysterio, right? Mysterio is like, he's the, he's presented in the beginning. This was so weird to me. Sorry, this is a tangent, but like he's <laughs> okay. in the trailer, like he's presented as like, someone who's going to help Spider-Man where it's like, okay, like right off the bat, I know it's going to be like the big plot twist is that he's going to be the villain, right? Yeah. Cause Mysterio is a villain, which obviously happens, but like Mysterio um, is a guy who is um, he's a Spider-Man villain and his, his powers are like special effects. Like he's a special effects person. Like in the, in the original version, he's like a stunt man who like creates all these illusions, mm. but like the updated version of the comic now and then like in the movie too, like he's basically a guy who uses technology to project things, right? He uses like drones and, you know, all these like 3D imaging in order to do stuff. So I, I, I wonder if like, you know, it's 2020 right now, you know, the way that technology is like if people on the street, you know, in London or whatever, and you see someone use their wand to, to do whatever, like you, you, you know, you're, you're, our minds are going to try to rationalize it. Yeah. And we'll rationalize it by saying, well, you know, it's probably like maybe they're shooting a movie or some trick or whatever it is. Maybe it's a prank show, like that type of thing. So that probably, that might play into it a, a little bit, I think. Uh, yeah, that would definitely make sense for modern day wizards because it could easily, people are so quick to be like, no, we have to have like logical, it has to make sense. Like, People like science and that's science is good. We like science, but we want to like science every single thing. There are some things that like you can't use science for like feelings, like it's not going to work, but I'm sure like if that were to happen, people were like, Oh, I saw this thing happen. They'd be like, Oh, well it must be 
a chemistry experiment or whatever. That's like how this happened. Like there's no way it would be like a supernatural thing. You ever watch like ghost hunters? No. Cause it sounded scary. Hey, that's what they, they, you know, you go know. in the basement and you, you see apparition, you hear something. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not no. down with ghosts. I don't mess with ghosts. I don't. Yeah. Do I'm like that. Nah, that doesn't seem like something <laughs> I should even like, no, I'm out. Yeah. Even like supernatural love the show, but I'm also like sometimes scared. I'm like, this is just getting too dark and scary. Mm. Show's been on for like 20 years. It's wild. Dude. Never seen it. But I heard <laughs> it's good. It, I think this is the last season. I heard. Okay. I don't know. It should. Uh, yeah. It should end soon. It's a fun show, but like it went on too long. Check back for our supernatural podcast. <laughs> no, okay. Um, let's get to the next one. Uh, question number eight. This question is from Addy, but it's from from various people. Like off the yeah. top, we said Ron like caught some strays in the question. So um, the question is what is, the, the combined version of the question is what is Hermione seeing Ron? And that's a great question to me because I don't know what she sees in Ron. No plan. Kind of plan. <laughs> Um, do you want, do you want my take first? Or do you want to go first on this? Um, uh, well, let's go with your take on, uh, Hermione and Ron. So I, I don't know. I'm, I'm a believer in people. I was just telling someone this the other day, but I, I believe that people from different life experiences and different like personality, different backgrounds kind of attract to each other. Um, I, 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 I believe that I believe that there is, um, not in like every single case, obviously, but I, I believe that there are cases where people who, um, are different and who not necessarily like values are different. Cause I think that like Ron and Hermione, like have the same set of values, but yeah. like their personalities, like different personality types, they were raised in different environments. I think that those people are drawn to each other a lot of the time. And so, I think that's what JK Rowling was getting at, was hinting at when she, when she kind of paired the two together, but just off of a, off of a personality, like, I don't know, like off of, I see the trajectory of where they go and you, you know, JK Rowling has said like Hermione becomes minister of magic and, you know, she's, she is credentialed and she, you know, gets your magical PhD, whatever the hell else, you know, it is like, she's, she's on that path. And then Ron, I just feel like, you know, it's all good when you're, when you're 17, but now you're like 38 and you know, you're going different places in life. And I don't know, would it have worked out? Will it work out? I don't know. To me, I've said this before, like the most unrealistic thing about the Harry Potter series is that everyone met in like third grade and they all ended up married to each other. Like that doesn't happen. (laughs) That's not a thing that happens. No. So, I don't know. I could, I could see how Ron and Hermione were because Ron is, Ron is a good person. Ron is, he's brave. He is loyal. He is, um, he's family oriented. He is, um, you know, he's, he's going to do the right thing at the end of the day. But like, I don't know. I I don't see it between the two of them lasting long-term. Maybe, maybe I'm off base. What do you, what are your thoughts? I think I have not thought about it with like their long term because I think about them in the moment where I'm like, oh, yes, like Ron is kind of a scrub. And Hermione is like, obviously, like she from the time we meet Hermione (laughs) in book one, we know she is going places. She has it together. She is the only reason Harry and Ron live 
to the seventh book. Like, without her, we would not have a story. Um, it should be called Hermione Granger and these two idiots. But Hermione and Ron, like, I think... So as you're talking about when they're like older, when when he they're like in their 30s and 40s, and like she is the minister of magic. Um then again, it also makes sense for it to be Ron. Because I'm like, oh, like he probably is gonna be like super supportive. He's gonna say dumb things, but she's gonna be like, listen, don't do that. And he'll be like, okay. <laughs> Whereas if she were to be with someone who is like kind of on her level, they might feel threatened a little bit not this is deep this is like relationship hour i like it <laughs> i i don't like i'm like i have a bias i like i know that so when i'm like oh like it would make sense to like have someone who's like very supportive if you are like a very and i think for either person in the relationship who's like i want to like accomplish this thing like both people can't be president of the united states like it's not sure. gonna work sure um so I think that that would work. And I would assume that Ron does some growing because like all of the other Weasleys have grown. So one would hope that he'd like want to get it together a little bit. Um, I'm, I'm sure by 30, he hit his stride and he's like, all right, Hermione is the Obama of the relationship. I might be the Michelle, like the lesser Michelle because Michelle had her own thing going on and Ron probably doesn't, but he's probably okay with it. He's probably like, yeah, I'm happy. Like I have Harry, I have Hermione, I have my family. Like he's very content with all those things. And she's, he's not necessarily dead weight as Hermione is like moving on up. It's, it's interesting. Cause I think about how, like, I think about like a CBS show where it's like the King of Queens or something like that, where it's like the slub and he has like, yeah like the really hot like accomplished wife i don't know um no i agree with you it's it's unfair to me to be like ron ron is going to be the same guy at 16 as he is at 38 right like he's going to do some growing he's going to do some maturing um it's it, it would be interesting to see what the dynamic between all three of them are honestly after their um after experiencing like these incredibly traumatic experiences yeah. like every single year and so there's like this time period between the end of book seven and then like they're adults in um, the Cursed Child. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. Yeah, 19 years in Cursed Child. But like, the, what what is that dynamic like? Like, what is it like when they're not having their life threatened constantly? They're probably um, friends. They probably yeah, like no, Yeah, for sure. <laughs> no, for sure. But like they're, the dynamic is going to change a little bit, I think. Yeah. And I think that like they're kind of like they're not forced but they're like pushed into these romances and not not against their will but they're like they're pushed into these romances quicker because of the urgency of the situations and the times that they're in yeah particularly in the last two books but um yeah i know i agree with you i i feel like there's i i feel like there might be a middle ground between like ron and hermione in terms of like you know a, a person who might not who know who understands their role right like a person who's not on hermione is on a level by herself yes right in terms of any like in terms of intelligence in terms of like um magical acumen or whatever else like she's she's a top tier like everyone else is in the tier below her um and that's harry that's ron that's whoever else 
but maybe there's a I don't know maybe there's a middle ground between Ron and and Hermione maybe there's like a and I don't want to just say Harry but maybe a Harry maybe a Harry is kind of like a middle ground between or Neville um, or Neville or uh, you know um, a Dean Thomas maybe you know maybe I don't know well I I don't know I don't know if it would have worked out that's all I'll I mean say. But, like, I, you, but I respect I respect your opinion though. <laughs> Like, I think, I think you're right. Realistically, they probably would not have worked out. She would have been like, listen, get your life together. We're, we're going places and you have to be here. But like, because we have the 19 years into the future and we know that they end up together. Like, I'm trying to think like, okay, how would they have made this work? And I'm like, ah, Ron would have had to like somehow get his poop in a group and understand that like, what he wants no longer matters because he is not thinking big picture. He's thinking very short term. Um, and then like anything that he wants to accomplish, this is, this might be where like, he kind of, it helps that he probably still has a very good relationship with Hermione and Harry through all those traumatic experiences where they can kind of encourage him because like, he kind of does need that extra encouragement of all of them to like do something. But then once he does it, he's, like, very proud. Yeah, I just wonder, like, what his role would be. Like, what his, um, like, as an adult. Like, not, not his role in the relationship, but, like, what, what, he, what would he latch on to, um, like, as an individual. Like, as, a, as his own, his like, hobby. personal. Yeah, his, like, hobby or, like, what is he. Because, um, you know, like, um George, it was Fred and George, but then George moving forward, like they did the joke shop. And I think that it says that in the 19 years later, like he's working for the joke shop. Like he's, he, that's where he works. Like either it's said, it's spelled out there or maybe JK Rowling says it later. I don't know. And there's, I know that there's a, there's a thing in the cursed child where, um, again, I know this from listening to binge mode because I haven't read cursed child, but there's a, um, time turners play a role in yeah. Curse Child, and there's a they go to different like timelines, and there's a timeline where Ron is like killed, I think, um, and like Hermione is just like you know depressed and like super like devastated, like he's he's either killed or he's married someone else. I can't remember what it is, but like the point of that timeline is that Harry or Hermione and Ron are not together, and so. Hermione is just like really irritable and like just really like really depressed basically. Interesting. So there's a you know there's proof that they are um, just super important in each other's lives and each other's psyches and I you know I I have no issue with that. I just I'll put it this way. I think it would have been interesting to see them end up with people who weren't each other. That's how I feel about it. I think it would have been interesting to see Hermione with someone else and Ron with someone else. To see Ron with a Luna Lovegood, to see Ron with a not Lavender Brown, but you know, <laughs> yeah, but like any other character, yeah, maybe and maybe they maybe they they take a trip abroad and Ron meets someone in Spain. You know what I mean? Like who yeah. who knows? Everyone, everyone Hermione doesn't ends have up to with marry. Victor Crumb. Exactly. Everyone doesn't have to. You know, you're the people you marry. You don't have to go to high school with. That's a very hard sell to many people. It's true. It's true. Shout out to Hoover High School, class of 2007. <laughs> uh, let's, go to, let's go to question nine, our second to last question for the night. Speaking um, of Victor Crumb. Yes, exactly. Who is the better seeker, Harry Potter or Victor Crumb? This is another question from Andrew. 
What are your thoughts on this? Victor Crumb, he was a professional Quidditch player when he was a teenager, and Harry was on the team for his house. Facts. But it's but it's not like Harry was playing Quidditch professionally. So Facts. um we have seen youths play professional sports. Anyone who's watched like soccer, let's use that as an example, because like straight up. There are kids playing in like a lot of leagues. They're like 18 years old. Victor Crumb in Goblet of Fire is 18 years old. He's finishing up school. He is the champion from Durmstrang. Yeah, he had to have been playing for everyone to be so invested in Crumb. Plus, it being the Quidditch World Cup, we're operating under the assumption that it's similar to like the normal like World Cup every four years. Like, they knew that they wanted him, and they were, like, people were following him. Victor Crumb has been a famous seeker for, like, some time, and definitely better than Harry. I feel like this question is, like, disrespectful to Crumb. You know what I mean? Like, he's he's a pro. <laughs> yeah. Like you said, like, he's, like, like, I, we're talking about soccer. Like, I'm trying to think of, like, a soccer. I'm not, I know a little bit about soccer. I'm not, like, super, um, super well-versed for it, but I'm I'm trying to think of, like, like a Cristiano Ronaldo, who I'm, I'm pretty sure had a lot of success at a young age, right? When he's like 18, yes. 19. And so like, you're going to compare like someone who's playing for like University of North Carolina or something like that, who's like really good in their, you know, their college team or whatever. It's like, well, is he better than Ronaldo at age 19? Like, no, like it's not the same. Like Crumb is a pro. Harry is good. Um, Crumb gives Harry some accolades. Crumb says that he's a great flyer. You know what I mean? Like, yes, shows him love. But like, at the end of the day, like you're talking about a professional athlete, you know, like you're not going to compare the two. Now it's a different argument to say, would Harry have been as good as Crumb if he went pro, if he like trained and everything like that? That's a separate conversation. Very different. Very, very different. Um, But for like, as things played out. Right. (laughs) Like the context of this story, like of what of what we know, like Harry didn't go pro, like great athlete, great job, but like come on, like this is a pro. Yes. Whereas didn't in like the doesn't Ginny go pro? Like Ginny's actually very good. Yeah. Harry no one hears about Harry going pro. Ginny is better than and she can play multiple positions. Ginny is the best Quidditch player outside of Crumb in these books that we hear about. Like Listen, I, I there are a lot of there are a lot of good hoopers that came through my high school. Junior year of high school, we went undefeated, we won state. Not everyone goes pro though. You know, there are there are yeah. guys that were good on that team who were elite for the high school division for the Des Moines Metro division or whatever. But now you know what I'm saying, it's you know, two thousand six or fourteen years ago, right? Like they're not they're not on the same level. Some of those guys, there's a guy that I know off the top of my head who's playing pro ball overseas, but from that team, but you know, by and large, you know, you, you, you have your peak, your athletic peak at a, at a certain time. It's yes. only the, the elite athletes who can sustain it. So LeBron James, like that's exactly. what I'm thinking of right now where I'm like the guys that are playing LeBron. Like I have a friend who's like, Oh yeah. Like in high school, my team played LeBron's like we went to high school at the same time. And I'm like, yeah, I can't even like playing against LeBron James in high school. Uh, right. I'd be like, oh, I'm like just playing a professional athlete basically at this point. Right. And I'm not going to ask my friends 
like, hey, like, you know, Bron was 17 and he got drafted number one. Like, when you were 17, do you think that you were, like, as good as Bron? Like, no. Like, <laughs> it's kind of so. disrespectful to both sides at that point. Exactly. Like, you're not doing you're not doing Harry favors by comparing him to Crumb. Like, it's not – like, this guy was in a World Cup. Harry is watching this guy at the World Cup. Like, you can't compare the two. Yeah, no. Harry's a fan. <laughs> Big fan. Um, all right. So the final question for this for this evening, um, what are the best and worst differences between the books and movies from Jake Foss? Okay, so yeah, this is um, we've kind of hinted at it. Obviously, we've we've talked about it a little bit at the top of this of this mm-hmm. show, and we've you know we did our movie pod, we did our book pod. Um, I'm going to go through quickly a couple of um, a couple of differences that. I didn't think worked or I didn't like. Okay. Um, and I'll, I'll try to explain them briefly. The first one overall is a general sense of, and this is something, again, if you listen, uh, listen to Binge Mode Harry Potter, they really get into this a lot. Um, they're a little harsher on this than I am, but I definitely, I agree with them. Um, and that is the transfer of Dumbledore's personality from the books to the movies doesn't really work. Um, Dumbledore in the books okay. is warm. He is loving he is personable. He is um, just a source of comfort for people so much, for so many different people in, in so many different avenues. And you don't really get that in, in the movies. He's also like in the books, he's like this kind of like whimsical guy. Like you don't, they, they try to do that in the movie a little bit, but in the movie, he's a lot more stoic. He's a lot more like authoritative mm-hmm. than he is in the books. And he's just not as, I don't think that he's just as, as um he's not as like charismatic he's not as you're not as drawn to him in the movies as you are in the books in the books he's just such a um he's like a force in the books like a a warm force and he's i don't think that you really get that in the movies um and then goblet of fire the goblet of fire movie um i just don't think that they trust the audience because in the goblet of fire it's like so spelled out that barty crouch is in disguise using Polyjuice Potion as Moody. Like in the in the book, um, or in the movie, Barty Crouch is like at um at the Riddle House, like with when Frank Bryce gets killed, um, Barty Crouch is there. And like that's like nonsensical in, in terms of the books. Like that's not what happens at all. But it's like the, the movie's trying to like spell out that Barty Crouch is like the faithful servant, even though I don't think that that language is used in the movie, like Barty Crouch is like Voldemort's inside man at, yeah. at Hogwarts, whereas that's in the books that's revealed at the very end. And then the last one, real quick, in Deathly Hallows Part 2, there's a scene that I really, this is one of the things I dislike the most, is there's a scene between um, Harry and, and Aberforth at the Hogshead. Um, is that is it the Hogshead or the Three Broomsticks? I don't remember which one. Which, whichever... Yeah. Whichever Aberforth's bar is that we mentioned earlier when Neville comes through the portrait. But like in the in the movie, he's like, you know, they're having this conversation and Aberforth, like the book, he's talking about how like Dumbledore, you know, lied all the time. He kept all these secrets and he's put you on the suicide mission. And in the books, like Harry feels the same way. Like Harry is very conflicted. That's the main theme of the books is that he has to kind of... um reconcile the fact that Dumbledore isn't the man that he thought he was potentially. And he wasn't as 
close to Dumbledore as he thought he was, and Dumbledore withheld all this information, like everything that Aberforth says. But in the movie, Harry's just like, I don't care. Like, I'm just going to do this mission. I don't care that you've given up. I'm going to do it, blah, blah, blah. And that kind of is just like, it's it's like the, the producers of the movie are just kind of like trying to like pump Harry up as like this action hero guy who like is going to jump into any situation or, or whatever. Which, you know, Harry's very heroic, but like a major theme of that book is Harry struggling internally with his relationship with, to Dumbledore and Dumbledore not telling him everything. So to to portray it that way in the movie kind of just like undermines everything that Harry went through internally um, in the book. So I just, I really didn't like that. What about you? What are your, what are your. Um, so what changes? I like didn't love in between the books and movies, obviously there's so many details in the books. And I think a lot of the details, while they aren't like the most significant for the plot, they are what like helps you build this world in your head. And like, understand these characters more so like when we talked about dobby and like how in the movies dobby's in movie two in movie seven and then dobby is throughout all of the other like books he plays like a very like he's a very significant person on like i shouldn't say very significant but like dobby plays a role and like it's very important like that he plays this role throughout the series. And so like there are times I'm like, Oh, they could have like included this, like they could have included in the fourth movie more like anything about, uh, Barty Crouch's house elf, like Winky. So like that brings Dobby back, but it also brings up that like side plot of spew, like reading that book like when I was a kid like that was a really important like plot point to me like the fact that that was not in the movie when I saw it I was like wait but this was important because it's like important for Hermione and um it just so there are things like that so those like small details where I'm like oh well like why would you include some details but not the others and then like in half-blood prince where at the beginning of the movie harry's trying to like listen in on malfoy and the other like slytherins he's like oh i'm gonna like catch him saying that he's working for voldemort or whatever and in both the book and the movie malfoy finds it like he sees him because harry's under his invisibility cloak but like obviously it doesn't make him not solid so like he gets hit with something and then so Malfoy like stuns him hides him underneath of the invisibility cloak in the movie Luna finds him in the book Tonks finds him and Tonks is depressed at this point and because like Sirius had died and she felt like it's her fault like lots of things were happening with Tonks that you like then learn about later in the book and like that isn't super important for the movie but it's still like oh well like this is important so you understand Tonks you understand why Harry has this very like significant relationship with Remus and Tonks like why would you take care of some random person's child when they die if you don't have this meaningful relationship built up um so like I think that in the movies it's like a little especially if they do introduce the character it's like frustrating that they don't like 
keep their story in there because it like it is important i i think that jk rowling does not just like frivolously add characters like they all have some significance in harry's life so those are things that i'm like ah well obviously not every single detail can be included um but well like we talked about with like some of the visuals of the movies i do think that there are just times where the movies capture a moment that like it's kind of written similarly in the book but it's still like like watching it is like a completely different experience than reading it and you feel something different watching it than reading it yeah listening to what you what you just described i think that um you know i we we both understand and respect like you said like it's a different medium and there are things in the in the movies that are just you can't really do um there are details that you can't include and things like that but like I think that just listening to what you just said, it, it just really makes me feel like the producers of the movies are just like, like the books are, the books are Harry's books, right? They're largely from Harry's point of view. Yes. Um, you know, I would say 90% of the books are from Harry point, point of view versus the movies, which is basically like a hundred percent. Like, I think that the, the books are more concerned with building the world Yes. And uh, wanting the reader to understand the world. It's still very, they're Harry's books. It's Harry's vantage point. Like Harry's the most important character. He's the central character. Everything revolves around him, but you also get the world. And like the movies are just like not really concerned about building the world at all. Like everything is from Harry's point of view. Everything, if it doesn't directly influence Harry or impact Harry in a great way, then it's just like cut. And so when you talk about like spew, Spew is such a pivotal moment for Hermione's character. And it's such a pivotal moment for us to learn more about Hermione's nature. Before we we know that Hermione is a bookworm, we know she's smart, we know that she's the most talented witch of her age. Um, we know how advanced she is magically. Spew is where we find out how much Hermione cares about people, how much Hermione is invested in helping the less fortunate, which is an important part of this war, right? The 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 wizarding war, a large part of it is, you know, people who want wizards elevated over everyone else. Well, now here's one of our main characters who is showing us that, no, that's not the right thing to do. Like it's implied, right? Like it's implied for us to understand that, you know, house elves are important or, and, you know, other magical people or beings are important, but the way that it's presented to us through the lens of a main character who is going out of her way to um, um, help these house elves and to to um, really emphasize the importance of their life experiences and what they go through daily. Like that's presented through Hermione's perspective. And like, that's a really important moment, like I said, for her and for us as readers, but that's like not, we don't get that in the, in the movies In the movies. It's not, the movies don't care about house elves. The movies don't care about, wizards being elevated over other people in the magical community like yes. movies only care about harry and like harry fighting and you know and I'm, I'm not trying to like shit on the movies but it's just like that's just like facts like the movies don't really care as much about the world building aspect of it like it's just like it's only through harry's lens yeah and so then it like kind of what it takes away from the movies that they don't set it up where okay house elves matter and we need to make sure that they are not treated like slaves so then, like, in book five, when 
Umbridge comes in and she's also kind of part of that like cleanse and thinking that like if you're not like fully a wizard or full blood like it's an issue like it still resonates like the the viewer can watch the movie and understand that it's not right but like to understand that this is not a new concept in this world like this has been building like they didn't just suddenly decide in year five oh we're prejudiced <laughs> like no this has been happening for a while um so like that i mean again it's hard for the movies but also i think they're just trying not to be put to, to your point it's told from harry's point of view and they're not trying to necessarily dig into anything that doesn't help move him specifically along that's so true what you said like it's so the the mentality of wizards and um the belief systems of wizards is so ingrained into society and we do we see that from book one on down the line versus the movies like you said like first or movies movie five and it's just like all of a sudden well umbridge is here and we don't like you know centaurs like you don't really yeah first of all i haven't seen a centaur since the first movie right so i don't even i don't yep. i wouldn't know either way and so like it's yeah it's it's tough like it's the the world is so rich in the books and again like we understand and respect that it's different mediums and i've said on this podcast before there are things in the movies that articulate things in the books um that elevate them and that i like better yeah but by and large it's just it's um yeah it's it 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 loses a lot when you when you think of the transfer between the books and the movies so they wanted to transfer all the things from the books into the movies they should have made instead of movies like a show i think they're going to i mean like i don't i i i see that as like you know, in five, five to 10 years, Warner Brothers, you know, they own the right to Harry Potter and they're like, we're going to, we have all this content. We have, you know, we have seven seasons of a show right off the bat. If we want, we'll cast these young British actors and we'll, you know, I I think it's inevitable that they'll do a TV show some at some point down the line. That's just they my get all opinion. the fantastic beasts out first. And I think right. they're doing five of those. Mm-hmm. So I, it might be like 10 to 15 years because the Fantastic, okay, yeah. I, I bet they would wait until all the Fantastic Beasts are done so that they could somehow build on that so they yeah. could like bring that into it mm-hmm. and then I bet they would like include Cursed Child like they would full all the Harry Potter things yeah um, which like could be fun or it could be very annoying we'll find out at this point all we're doing is consuming content. So exactly. It's fine. Exactly. This is great. Great episode. It was fun. We're ready all we're already ready for, for next week. Next week's episode, we're gonna do the second half of the mailbag. Um again, you guys gave us some some great questions. So we're 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 really looking forward to to diving into our next set of questions next week. Yeah. Thank you for sending all the questions in. We had fun going through them, but also just the like discussion on twitter with all of them that was that was very fun a lot of fun hit us back um if you listen to this when you listen to this podcast hit us back on twitter let's let's get the the conversation going again uh in preparation for next week and then next week uh at the end of our next episode we will reveal our next um series that we're going to be doing um culture check on so be prepared for that as well
Thanks for listening. Thanks, everyone.